Well, we're in week two, like Pastor Brandon said, as we continue in this series. Pastor Todd spoke in week one, and he showed some pictures from Jerusalem, which was the pictures of the, the Temple Mount. And he, he talked about how there used to be the temple that was there, which was Solomon's temple. It was one of the most beautiful wonders of the entire world. In fact, people would plan their their trips when they did business in the Middle East when the temple was up. And they would they would camp out on the mountains and try to time it to where when the sun came up, it would shine off of the, the temple. And the, the gold and the brass was one of the most beautiful wonders of the world. And now sits the Temple Mount, and he tied it into the, the Temple Mount, which is the Dome of the Rock, which is that, that big gold dome. And he tied it into the fact that when we lose our way with God, that that these types of things should not be. When we lose our way with God, we, what used to be the temple is now an idol. And and he, he unpacked that. We encourage you to go back and, and listen to that, that message. But this morning, I want to look at an event that happened around the Sea of Galilee. And I want to look at a couple of things that are part, really, of a bigger story, part of our story, so to speak. And I want to bring it to you from multiple angles, meaning we're going to look at it from the disciples' point of view. We're going to look at it from the man's point of view that, that, that he had his encounter with Jesus. And we're going to bring out some things that you may have not previously seen, but I think it will help you to understand the context of the story. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those days, you know, busy, maybe not going the best, and suddenly something comes up? It may not be ideal, might not be the best circumstance, the best timing, but suddenly something is asked of you. And it's something that you may not really want to get involved with. You know, God has a way of doing those types of things, putting things on our plate, so to speak, when we're not necessarily ready for it. Whatever it is, we could call it an inopportune time. But these are one of those moments where God can use us for his glory and on his timetable. And he wants us to share his message, not necessarily our message. You see, Many of our testimonies are not the ones we would have picked. You might not have picked watching your child struggle with drugs to be delivered and now serving God. You may not have picked going through a sickness and coming out on the other side, seeing God's grace like you've never seen it before. You may have never picked being on the verge of financial ruin only to see God come through and show you that he truly is your provider. Some of the disciples were just part of the story, and sometimes they interacted in the story. Remember this, some of Jesus' greatest miracles happened when he was just going from one place to, to the other, and someone stopped him. The point is, when these disciples got involved, it shaped their experiences with God and rooted them in the faith that they were willing to die for. I want to share, share with you four lessons that I think will help you on your journey. And it comes from the Galilee region. For Jesus, he had been ministering all, all day. And this is the setting, the Sea of Galilee. I want to show you a video. When we went to Israel, this was actually the Sea of Galilee. We were on the boat. And it's, it, was, it was phenomenal. Because we know that this is the actual sea. There's not like one of those traditional sites. It's, a, it's the real deal. And all of the areas that are surrounding it 
are part of the Galilee region where a lot of Jesus's miracles took place. Jesus walked on these waters. I remember in 2000, I actually tried. I mean, I was a young Christian. I was like, man, maybe I could do this. And I got, didn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah. But the disciples had been with Jesus all day observing him. And Jesus was doing miracles and all of these other things. But for the disciples, it was just another day of possibly standing around watching him do all of these things. So let's look at point number one, the instruction. In Luke chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Now one, now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into the boat and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. Now here's the question that we're going to ask this morning, and we're going to get the answer shortly. Why did Jesus want them to go to the other side? Now, it's about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. You might be exhausted from your day. You just want to get home. It was just one of those days. For Jesus, it was always miraculous when you were around him. He spent a lot of time with God because he was God. And right, he's Jesus, he's God in the flesh. But he had communion with God. He was always in prayer. And the disciples got the overflow of their relationship. Now, obviously, it's 5 o'clock. They're probably picking up their nets or whatever it is that they're doing. And it's an inopportune time. It's not a time that you feel like going on an adventure with Jesus if it's anything like our 5 o'clock days, right? We're just ready to get home. <laughs> but we need to understand the context of this as well, as we continue down through the story. The instruction was to go to the other side. You may say, what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal? What are we missing? I want to show you a picture. And what you see in the back is the mountain region. It's like a valley. And it's called the Decapolis. It, and it means in the Greek, ten cities. In fact, when you read the story of the prodigal son, he didn't go to Las Vegas. He would have, they would have understood him going to the Decapolis, which was a Greek city filled with pigs. It's, it was known as Roman politics of those days. It was demonic. It was filthy. It was prostitution. And now this area is known as Syria, the Golan Heights, and going into the Jordan area. Now, Jewish people were forbidden to go there under any circumstances whatsoever. It was literally swine country. Hits the outrage when Jesus is telling this story and a lot of the people that are sitting there would have been freaked out because the prodigal son is sitting here, hired himself out to a herdsman that was herding pigs and literally latched onto him. And number one, he was on a Gentile soil. He's eating the pods, which was utterly disgusting. Being with pigs in a Gentile country and eating the stuff that the pigs are eating would have absolutely destroyed the Jewish people of that day. It would have been wanting them to throw up. They worshiped pagan gods. There were literally temples of prostitution along the streets. And to an observant Jew, it would have been absolutely outrage. Now, if you think about it, it was actually seen as one of the seats of Satan himself. That's how demonstrative of, of, and demonic it was. It was kind of like as if, you know, if you think about the instruction of the, the, this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi telling his people, let's go over to the other side. They just, they didn't even mention the Decapolis. They didn't even want the defilement coming off of their mouth. They just called it the other side. In other words, it was code word 
for let's go over there. Let's go to that place. It was so earth shattering. It was, it's almost as if, like, we can have the ushers bring out the snakes and the Kool-Aid. I want to give you, this is a joke. It would have been that type of, like, there's no way this is going to happen. So I just, I want to set the scene for you. They saw Jesus embrace a tax collector. They saw him touch a leper. They saw him raise the dead. But this was absolutely scandalous. And in fact, when you read the story, they don't even get out of the boat. I mean, they went to these parties. They sat down with these sinners and tax collectors, but they were not about to get out of the boat. In fact, when you see the story, it says that there were boats that went with them. So Mark's account tells us that. Now, maybe they were sitting there saying, uh, Simon, since you're the head disciple, maybe you should let Jesus know the Torah that we're not supposed to be in the environment with the Gentiles. Now, if you remember the story, Paul and Peter got into an intense moment of fellowship about eating with Jews and Greeks. That's how, that's how debatable it was back then. Remember when Peter was sitting on Simon the Tanner's roof for whatever reason, that must have been pretty cool. Just sit there and overlooking, uh, the Mediterranean. But as this sheet came down in a vision, they, he saw unclean things on there, unclean animals and Jesus, and God told him to eat. And he said, I don't eat unclean things. And God said, don't call what I call clean, unclean. Remember this, rabbis followed their, their, disciples followed their rabbis and did whatever they told them to do. Here's what we need to know here. Sometimes Jesus may come against our religious mindsets to accomplish a strategic goal. Now, I didn't say biblical mindset. I said religious mindset. For them, religion was just for the Jews. Jesus was trying to teach them, I'm about to show you the whosoever will principle. This thing is going to expand into this area. And there's, they, they, they could not grasp it. Sometimes we might be on our straight and narrow path, but sometimes God wants to take us off road, right? Imagine the crowd as they're watching these Jewish people leave to go to the other side their reputations. What are they doing with these Greek pagans? Remember this, Jesus wants all to come to him. Your cousin, your uncle, that's awkward at Thanksgiving. All. God wants all to come to him, even your boss. And don't be surprised if God may send you to talk to your boss about him. Sometimes God may want to shake things up in a situation and put you in a situation that you would not necessarily get involved in, right? They would have never known to go to the Greeks, but he put himself in that. He put them in that. So life application here is God may ask us to do something outside of the box, and it might not be on our time schedule. But it may be a teaching moment for you or for me or an outreach that will radically change you or them forever. If you're arguing with your wife, don't be surprised if you have a marriage counseling session that you need to be doing. And my wife would say, amen. <laughs> Sometimes it, you know, it's like you're meeting with a couple and you're about to do some marriage counseling and you didn't have the best example to set before them. And like the devil don't mind giving you some argument or whatever, 10 or 20 minutes before you meet with a couple. 
That's right. Amen. The rest of you get into marriage counseling. You'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> Number two. I mean, I'm sorry. Let me get back to this part. Expect an inopportune time to bring special ministry. You know, you're weak. You're stressed. The Bible says that that God will use those times of weakness, right, for his glory. In our times of weakness, God is strong. Number two, don't be surprised by the storm. Luke chapter 8, verse 23 and 25. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped up and in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters to obey him? See, there came a storm, and you may be surprised when a storm pops up in your life before, during, or after the instructions are given for the Lord to ask you to do something. Now, remember, these were fishermen, so they grew up around storms. They tried to ride it out on their own, obviously, because they come and wake Jesus up. Much like us, we may try to use our resources before we go to Christ. On the Sea of Galilee, it sits inside of a bowl of mountains. And so it's easy for the wind to come in and rile that water up to eight feet, eight foot waves instantly. Now, here's the context that we need to know. The disciples know that they are going to the east, which is the evil city. They know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is an evil place, and they know that that's where they're going. And they wake him up and say, we're perishing. In their minds, we're going to die. Now, think about this. Sometimes things happen. By life, and sometimes things are a demonic attack. They had done something they had never done before, which was to go over to the other side. You ever did something that you knew you probably shouldn't do, and then you did it, and then all hell broke loose, so to speak, in your life on that situation? It could be a good or a bad thing. But either way, when you do step out and do something good, and and it's like all of hell is thrown at you. It's probably one of those situations. What if it was Satan sending the storm to stop them from going there? In Mark's account of Mark, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark's account in chapter 4, verse 38, they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many of you have ever said that to God? Don't you care what I'm going through, God? Don't you see that this is about to destroy me? Have we ever had these thoughts? Here's what you need to know. Jesus had been in the safe zone, ministering to the Jewish people all this time. On the north shore of the Galilee, Bethsaida, Capernaum, all of these areas. And this is the first time that they are going collectively as a group into the heart of the demonic territory. They're going east. The Bible talks about Hosea, the evil winds from the east. So they would have connected this dot that this is not just a storm this is something evil that is coming our way they in other words they they were going on offense and so defensively they in their minds maybe satan is sending this i was reading a, a story in the new york times on october 30th of 2019 and it says the devil winds drive southern california fires and the firemen 
said that these winds were as bad as we had ever seen. It was as if these, these, the devil winds were pushing the fire ahead of them being able to, to, uh, to take care of it. See, we, we here get surprised when evil pops up when we mess with evil. We've taken evil and put it into a category of myth. But I can assure you that evil is real, the devil is real, and I've looked at demon spirits in the eye. Pastor Brandon and I were in a situation before, and it literally gave you the free songs. But I can assure you that devil came out. Amen. So they could have seen this as a demonic attack. Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves instantly. Then he says, where is your faith? In other words, he's, these disciples saw him bring in a load of fish. They saw him do all these miraculous things. They've seen him defy nature over and over and over. But Jesus was showing them, I have all authority over the winds, the waves, circumstances, the devil, that family member. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, sister. <laughs> I read a quote the other day, the more terrible the storm, the more necessary the anchor. Here's the life application. Expect the east winds of circumstance, supernatural, or just life to happen. Expect a fight or resistance when you step out to do something that God has told you to do. Be prepared to fight mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Peter would say, do not be surprised of this fiery trial that is among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. There's an example. If God wants you to be reconciled to a family member, don't be surprised if you don't have the best day before the meeting. Don't be surprised if you're exhausted to have the conversation. Don't be surprised if the teacher has called you and said that little Johnny acted up today. Don't be surprised of the flat tire. No, let that silently motivate you to know that I can expect to make some sort of difference in this situation. And I'm going to obey God with a heightened expectation. Number three, look at the testimony, Luke 8, 26 and 27. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. And he had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. They sailed, meaning the storm stopped. Jesus did not say, hey, I need one of those winds I rebuked to come back and get us to the other side. And there was no Mercury or Johnson motor, I'm sure. So they had to row. Here's the point. Jesus wants us to get involved in what he's doing. He could have just said, let's just be over there. So here's my question. Are you rowing in ministry or are you just here for the ride? Imagine these boats as they're approaching the shore. From the disciples' point of view, they've almost died. <laughs> they're probably hearing hollering and screaming from this cursed land that they're about to embark upon. But think about the man in the tombs. He is naked seeing boats coming towards him from a Jewish side. I want to show you two pictures. This is, what the, this is what the mountain would have looked like. See the holes that are going into the mountains? These are what's called the tombs. When we were there in 2000, we had an a Arabic 
tour guide, and he allowed us to go through these areas, and it was on the Golan Heights, and he said that these are the types of tombs that the demoniac would have been living in, and he would have come across, and there was this, there was this uh, hill that went directly into the water, and the Sea of Galilee would have been higher during that time, and he said this is the only spot in this whole area that the pigs would have went off into this area. So we knew that this was not one of those traditional sites, but it was actually the site of this incident that we're talking about. Other translations say that he was living among the dead. Here's what we need to know. We came into this world living among the dead outside of the kingdom of God. Jews cannot be on Gentile soil. They cannot be around nakedness, and they definitely cannot be around the tombs. And here comes this naked Gentile from the tombs screaming at the top of his lungs. The boat hits the shore, and both accounts say that he got out of the boat, and nowhere does it say that the disciples got out. And then in eight, chapter 8, verse 37, it says he got back in the boat. So that tells me those brothers just played their part. They're like, look, man, we got you here, that we're good. Can I encourage you to just let Jesus do his work, just carry him to the workplace? Carry him to your family. Carry him to the pot, to, to, to the table. Let's pick up some, some of the tales from Mark chapter five, three through five, or I'm sorry, four through five. And it says, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying and bruising himself with stones. In other words, he was cutting himself. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in the title of the demoniac. This man is somebody's son. He may be somebody's brother in a family. He may be someone's uncle, or he might even be a father. See, everybody has a story. Don't just see this guy as the demoniac. This, he has upbringing. He has hopes. He has dreams. He has aspirations. You know how I know that? Because he's a human being. And all of us have dreams and hopes. All of us want the best for our kids. To be human is to dream. To be human is to hope. For whatever reason, isolation cut him off. Whether he was run out of town or whether he withdrew himself, either way, he's banished and his mind is now the devil's playground. Imagine the pain of being an outcast, no friends, no one, living humiliated and rejected in a cave. Some of you might feel this way right now, and it's no coincidence that the Lord brought you here. He is in chains, living in tombs, tormented in his mind, tormented in his will, tormented in emotions, captive to hopelessness, captive to Satan himself. He's bloodied up, bleeding and bruised from the stones. He is seen as valueless in a Greek culture that is seen around them as valueless. It is low, the lowest as you can get. He was an outcast in an outcast culture. You see, we forget that that is us to a holy God. We forget when we were living a defiled, hopeless life in the tombs of despair as outcasts to the kingdom of God, unable to please God on our best day, mind you. 
you know, the day when you read for 30 minutes, listened to K-Love. You feel super spiritual. You ate breakfast. We forget about the day when that boat came to the shore of our heart. You know, our, our cuts are, are, are hidden. Our wounds are bandaged up. We're healed. Forgetting where we came from can cause us to forget where other people are in their tombs. We can be rocked to sleep with spiritual piety. But he sees this boat. He sees this, this Jew, this Jewish king coming across. And he sees these disciples. Where are, why are these guys coming here, you might have been thinking. But here's what I want to submit to you. Jesus wanted that man. That's why that storm came. It wasn't just natural. That was a demonic attack to try to keep Jesus from this one man. Look at Luke 8, chapter 20, chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and kept under guard. And yet he would break the bonds and be dri driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. See, this man's moment had finally come, and the demons hijacked the conversation and began to interact with Jesus. You see, the demonic world knows who Jesus is, and they tremble. Yet we don't. They, so what happens is they begin to try to cut a deal with the Son of God. Jesus asked him his name, and they spoke for him. His bondage was identifying who he was and not him. A Roman legion was up to 6,000 soldiers. So it says that there were legions, so it could have been thousands of demons in this one man. You see, our circumstances happen to us, but they don't have to label us. They don't have to define us. The demons of our past don't have to speak for us. I'm sure the man inside was saying, please help me. I say to you here this morning, you may think no one is fighting for you and you are alone, but I can assure you the king of kings is for you and he has fought for you on Calvary. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verses 32 through 33. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. I like that. Yeah, you can go there. That's fine. But notice Jesus didn't try to get the demon's social security number. He didn't ask what door they could, right? He just said, go. That's what I like. And believe me, you have that same authority on the inside of you. Because his name is more powerful than any sickness, any demon spirit, any circumstance, any bondage, any drug. Yeah, I'm just, you need to know that. I know sometimes we get in these 
weary situations or we just want to get religious with Jesus' name. But I can assure you, Jesus' name, every knee shall bow. Amen. Praise God. Every demon one day, every, every person that commits the things that they commit, that we think they're getting off scot-free, Hitler will bow for what he did to the Jewish people. That day is coming. Jesus asked him. They asked him to be cast into the demons. Some boars of pigs. Now, here's the thing. Mark tells us there were 2,000 of them. Now, here's the, the interesting thing that I actually saw online. And people actually do this where they go and swim with pigs. I cannot imagine swimming behind a pig in blue water. <laughs> but pigs could swim. Boars can swim. I've always wondered why Jesus allowed them to go into the boars. Why did they say, let's go into the boars? So I did some research. The Decapolis, the mascot, was guess what? The boar. It was the pig. 2,000 herds, a herd of swine of 2,000. That wasn't just running around. That was being herded. That was economic growth. That was part of their economics of those days. The Roman 10th Legion, their mascot was literally the boar, according to Josephus. Now, if you don't think that's strange, go mess with a SEC college mascot and see what happens to you. This was a big deal. The fact that these demons went into this, these pigs. I submit to you that it was another attack on Jesus to get him out of town and on this man's testimony. Think about this. Instead of having a joyful deliverance, if you have a neighbor that is full of demons, so to speak, or just mean or angry, you'd be pretty happy if Jesus showed up and helped this neighbor to be a good neighbor, right? You wouldn't be mad. But he offended or made mad the people that were around him, so there had to be a reason why. Let's pick up the story. The herdsmen ran away and reported it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. He said, go home to your people and report to you to report what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the capitalists what great things Jesus had done for him and was amazed. He said, go tell him what the Lord did for you. He said, Jesus. He's connecting God and Jesus. This is this was a good point that I failed to bring up in the first service. But this man had a revelation that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This man is clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. However, when the people around the area heard, they got fearful, they got mad, and they got troubled with the boars, and they ran Jesus out of town. This man wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus made him fully well in his mind, in his soul, in his body. Jesus got back in the boat and imagined the disciples. <laughs> Gentile land, 
tombs, pigs, nakedness, and now demons? I wonder if these disciples kind of made the, made the way and said, Jesus, why don't you go ahead and sit right here, man? You could sit on your own little, little area right here. Maybe we can dip you in the water, get some of that purification bath. None of that. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that. That's a joke. <laughs> Meanwhile, this man is now free. He's whole. And he goes back to the ten cities and tells everyone what Jesus did for him. What's the life application? From the perspective of the man, whatever Jesus did for you, tell your story. That's what a witness does. They tell their side of the story. And we know he did that. He told everybody, no matter what it cost. Imagine this man saying, hey, remember those, those boards that went up? And they're like, yeah, man, let's talk about that. That cost us. That might have been a, a, a feeling of, you know, remorse. Like, man, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. I know I might have hurt our economics and the mascot. But I got to tell you what Jesus did for me. No matter what it cost or if people looked down on him, he told his story. And if you're the disciples, row and get out of the boat. There's no telling what the disciples would have done in that, in that situation. There's no telling where the story would have gone. Number four, the fourth point and the last point, expect fruit or even a miracle. I want to connect some dots for you here that you may not have connected before. Matthew tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little boy's five loaves and two fish sack lunch on the north shore of Galilee and Bethsaida, and he fed the Jews. Five loaves represent the five books of the Torah. The two fish represent the two miraculous catches, catch of fish that Jesus did. And they picked up 12 baskets, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This was a Jewish teaching, a Jewish now, Mark tells us that Jesus fed 4,000 people. This is not a contradiction. This is two separate feedings. Look what it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came to Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him, where will we be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to the disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And when, and when they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces, about 4,000 were there and he sent them away. Now here's the thing. He goes back to the Decapolis. You see the disciples walking on Gentile ground, which is pretty cool. They said, oh, man, Jesus didn't disintegrate when he hit uh, the, the Greek land. But here's the part that I want you to see. How many people, 4,000 people, were there because of this one man's testimony? If you think about it, one man possibly even if it was a 1,000, if it was 500, he reached that place. And all of those people that were once mad at him must have got over it. And they welcomed him in. Seven loaves are used. 
Seven baskets are picked up. This is the number of completion. This is the summary of the seven days of creation. When Jesus, when God created man and woman as well. This is showing us the love that Christ has for all people. And his desire for all to come to know him. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake in this one bread. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus is the bread that came down out of heaven. We also know this is two accounts because Jesus tells us it's two accounts. In Mark chapter 18, verses 14 through 21. Look at this again. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. Somebody should have (laughs) made them the lunch guy. Right? Instead of Judas being the money guy, he'd have been the fat Judas, maybe, eating all the food instead of stealing the money. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 16, and they begin to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were arguing. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you not understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all when I fed the 5,000 with the loaves of the bre- of bread? How many baskets left over of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. Then he says, and when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Do you not understand yet, he asked them. I wonder how many times we need to be reminded of the things the Lord has done for us. How many times do we go to God and say, God, this situation's happening. And he's like, I know, I saw that. Thank you for praying. I'm going to answer it. Don't you remember this, 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 and this? (laughs) It's true. God, this thing, I don't, listen, I know y'all busy in heaven with Israel and Iran and all that stuff, but man, this situation is going on. And he's like, I know. I know you prayed about it, and I'm answering that. Calm down. (laughs) Here's the life application. Your testimony can result in fruit, and don't be surprised if even miracles are involved. And be thankful for the Lord's patience. When we don't get it, we become tender. Now in closing, as I close this morning, Jesus went through all that trouble to go to the other side for that one man. And he went as well to the cross for you and I. You and I were outcasts of heaven. Don't think you were just born and you were just good to get to heaven. That's not how it works. The first day we stepped out of the womb, we were in sin, right? We were born on on Adam's Road, Garden, Garden of Eden driveway. And we were outcasts to the things of God. We were set aside to the things of God. We were blind. We were beggars. We were cut up. We were unable to please God. Beggars, oppressed. But Jesus crossed out of the safety of heaven through this earth to go through his own storm of persecution to get to the shore of your heart. And if you were the only person here He would have did it just for you. Which I don't know how you would have got here by yourself, but that's another story. (laughs) 
You may feel forgotten this morning. You might feel outcasted this morning. But I want to tell you something. If you hear nothing else out of this whole message, Jesus loves you. He is here for you. He wants to save your soul. He wants to deliver you from any bondage you may be dealing with. He wants to take you from the pit that you're in and bring you to the palace of heaven. He wants to bring you to the miraculous feeding that will all take place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there is no demon, no storm, no circumstance that Jesus Christ will not absolutely cut through like a hot knife on butter to get to you and deliver you from. With every, every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning for your entire eternity to be changed. You might be here and you say, I identify with the guy in the tombs. I identify being outcast. I might even be religious, but I don't know Jesus as Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip up your hand and I'm going to pray for you to receive Christ. And I believe, I see your hand. And I believe Christ is going to invade your heart and he's going to change your soul. Hands going up all over. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. This never gets old. Your eternity is changing. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life as we speak. Now, as a church, can we pray this prayer? And I want you to pray this prayer. And listen, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's if you meet it in your heart and you will notice a life change. You will notice your conscience change. You will notice your thought processes change. You will walk out of here a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, say it like you ate breakfast this morning. I come to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, I confess that I have sinned, that I have broken your laws, and I ask you for forgiveness. Cleanse me from all of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me, and you rose again on the third day and are seated at the right hand of God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask, amen. Come on, give them a round of applause. Praise you, God. Look at what Jesus can do, amen. Praise God. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in your pew. Just fill it out. Put it in the, the info center on the box. We love. We want to pray for you this week. For the rest of you, if you may be believers here and you might be battered and weary from going through the storms of life, can I encourage you to keep rowing? Step out of the boat when Jesus tells you to step out of the boat and get ready for God to do miraculous things in your life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just thank him. Let's thank him again. Praise you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. We'll be up here. Good afternoon.